Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 240. She has the most followed account on Pinterest with almost 13 million followers. But this isn't an episode about Pinterest. In her company, it's been featured in Fast Company and Oprah Magazine and on Good Morning America, to name a few. But this isn't an episode about getting media for your business. And she was named one of Time's 30 most influential people on the internet. But this isn't an episode about influence. Now, while Joy Cho has expertise in so many areas of entrepreneurship, today's episode is the answer to a question that you've asked time and time again. How do I build a team? Joy Cho is an expert in hiring, managing, keeping, and leveraging a team to grow her business. And today she is sharing her actionable tips and lessons learned with you. For me, hiring a team was a key difference between just maintaining my business and growing and scaling it, allowing me to be able to step back and remain the CEO and visionary. And I'm just so excited for you guys to listen in as Joy and I talk about growing a team. By the end of this, you will know when it's time to grow and hire a team member, how to find the right person for the role, how to keep that person on your team, and the best ways to leverage their strengths to grow your own business. I am so excited about this show, so I'm going to stop talking and let's get into it. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Gold Digger. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash golddigger and get $50 off your first job post. 
Get the key takeaways from thousands of nonfiction books in 15 minutes with Blinkist. Go to Blinkist.com slash Goldigger to start your free seven-day trial. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Goldigger to start your free seven-day trial. All right, Joy, I have a funny confession to make. When I first started the show two years ago, you were on my dream list of people to interview. So um, yes, and I have that list still with evidence of that. So to have you on the show is actually a really big honor for me. Well, thank you so much for having me. You were on my dream podcast to be on, and I didn't know you wanted me to be on your show. So <laughs> here we are. And it all here worked out. we are. I know. <laughs> I have just admired you from afar and just kind of watched you for years, and you just inspire the heck out of me. So since I'm gushing about you, why don't we just kind of take a few minutes and walk us through your story and what you do now and kind of how you got to where you are right now? So I started Ojoy in 2005. I started my career as a graphic designer in 2001 out of college. I had a couple great jobs in New York City. And I only started the company because I had left New York, moved back to Philly, where I'm originally from. And my then boyfriend, who's now my husband, was starting a long-term residency in Philly. And we wanted to live in the same city after doing long distance for nine years, which is crazy. And I was interviewing. I was trying to get a job at Anthropology and some other cool companies that were based in Philly, but I wasn't really finding exactly what I was looking for. I had already had a couple jobs. I knew what my strengths were. I knew what I really wanted to do. And the perfect job wasn't quite coming along. So I started freelancing because I had to make money. I couldn't just sit there with no paycheck. And I started a blog in 2005. A friend was just like, why don't you just try this blogging thing? I have one and you can just put pictures on it and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And as we all know, back in 2005, there weren't a ton of blogs out there. There was just a couple others, Design Spudge probably being the most notable one. And so I did it just as an outlet. And for me, it was an online resource. I put not only my inspirations, but I kind of put some of my work that I had done. And so as I was becoming... Uh, freelancer, it really served as a marketing tool for me. Over the next six months to a year, more and more people started reading the site. And although people always thought that Ojoy was a blog first and foremost, it really was always for the first several years, a companion to me being a freelance graphic designer. So the site kept growing. My work kept growing. I kept doing work for other brands. I was doing as much as I could because as a freelancer, you always have to continue to be doing work and getting more work. And so I was not only doing design work for clients, I was also doing freelance design writing. I was writing for a bunch of online magazines. I was contributing to a bunch of other sites as well to help grow my exposure. And Ojoy separately, the content part of it started growing slowly. It got to the point where probably about a couple years in, I started having some freelancers work with me as contributors. And that was sort of the model back then. If you have a blog that grows, you start having contributors so that there's other voices besides yours. So there was one point where the Ojoy blog, we were posting three times a day, five times a week, and I had four or five freelancers who were each doing a column on it. And then it got to the point where my first daughter was born in 2011. And by that point, Ojoy had been about six years old and it had grown enough that I was ready to stop saying 
yes to freelance design work. And not that I didn't love designing, but I wanted to focus on designing stuff for Ojoy and not for other brands. I was also ready to go into more product design and licensing and have it all be under the Ojoy name. So a combination of things happened around that time. I started doing more licensing. I was working with brands that would be interested in working with different designers. This is around the time that people were starting to collaborate more with designers and brands would find designers to do collections for them. It's a very popular thing now, but back then it was still very new. So one of my earliest collaborations was with Tiny Prince, which back then is now Shutterfly, but it was Tiny Prince and Wedding Paper Divas. And then I also did some stuff with Chronicle Books. And then I started a wallpaper line. And then I started a kid's baby line. And it just kind of grew. I was working with smaller independent brands that were interested in this until it got to the point where I felt ready to pitch to Target. <laughs> and you like how I just kind of like jumped through dun, that. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> Didn't all happen that fast. But around the time that I had an opportunity to pitch to Target in 2012, and I was getting ready to land that deal, I realized that I was still doing the majority of the work by myself. I had no full-time help. I'd only had a couple freelancers here and there to do a little bit of work or some interns. And so right around 2013, I took the leap to getting an office outside of my house because prior to that, I was working from home and getting my first couple employees. And that's really what I call Ojoy 2.0 because I think after that, <laughs> that's when people started to have a better idea of who we were and see us outside of just being a blog. I think prior to that, people thought I was a blogger, which that's great and fine, but we were always so many things. But it was after that, that people saw, oh, Ojoy also has a product line at Target. Ojoy also creates content. Ojoy also has books. And there were all these things that we were doing that people didn't really notice until after we started to make those bigger moves. So ever since then, really, I've grown my team organically from one to two to three. And now I have six full-time employees. And we do a combination of creative content for social media, we produce products in collaboration with other brands through licensing. I have three books out that have already come out and I have three more coming out next year. And I just started recently the Ojo Academy, which is a way for me to provide entrepreneurship skills and classes and consulting with other small business owners. And it's something that I've done my whole career, but really this year in 2019 was really important for me to come back and really focus on that. And so there you go. That's where we are today. Ugh, you do a lot of things like you do hashtag all the things. I love it. <laughs> and it's so funny. I actually remember when your first target line came out and I believe you posted a picture of your daughter and you guys were standing in front of an end cap, oh. if I remember correctly. And and it was just fun because I think it was one of the first times in my life where I remember walking into a target store and seeing your line and saying, I know her, even though. <laughs> I didn't know you. Does that make sense? And totally. I think we've all had moments like that. And and it was just a really cool thing where I was like, wow, like the internet is such a powerful thing. And what a testament to the brand that you had built where people felt like they knew you. And it was just like one of those things where I like felt like I was able to celebrate alongside of you. And I mean, full disclosure, Target gives me hives because that was where I worked before I started my own business. And so when I see end caps, it makes me slightly freak out because I think about planograms and things like that. But I just 
just remember celebrating. So that was such a cool moment to see and just to watch your brand continue to transform. One of the things I think that is so cool is that, I mean, really, you think about this, like you were about to pitch to Target and you were still kind of a solopreneur. How did you know that you had kind of reached your limit and it was time to hire help? Like, what did that look like for you? So as a solopreneur prior to that, I had done some licensing collections prior fully by myself. We had done a Land of Nod collection. We had done some other ones with some smaller companies. And when I was about to sign this contract with Target and I knew how many pieces were going to be in the collection and and we were with Target for three years, but the first collection was this party end cap and we were going to have four seasons of it in a year. And I saw the SKUs and I saw the line list and it was ended up being like hundreds of products. And I literally was just like, oh my goodness, I know I can physically design it, but all the execution and all the CADs and all the production work, plus all of everything else you have to do to maintain a business, the admin and the emails and the scheduling. And this was just one part of Ojoy. I still had content we were doing and sponsored posts and all of this stuff. It just got to the point where I knew I was going to explode if I kept trying to do it myself. Around this time, also, this mentor came into my life. She randomly found me online and she had had a couple of previous businesses that she had sold. And she was just somebody who I became friends with her sort of at this weird time. And she really helped to guide me in what to do and how to do it and just like convinced me that it was okay to take the risk. And that's something that I think that that doesn't always happen to people. You don't just have like a fairy godmother come down and say, okay, now it's time to hire your first employee. But it helped to have someone coach me through it who had been there and to tell me that it would be okay. And part of me feeling like I could do it was just knowing, well, I know that I may not be able to make this if I only do it myself. Part of it was the fact that I was signing this contract that I knew that there was a certain amount of money that I could allot to a new person. Like It gave me a little bit of stability to know. So anytime you have some sort of regular contract, that always helps because there's some sort of consistency you're going to, you know, you're going to have there. And also it was just like, okay, what is the next level here? And do I want to take, if I want to grow and I want to take it to the next level, I need to be able to get help and ask for help and let people help me so that I can focus on other things as well. Oh, I think that's so cool. And what I hope for this show is like, we can be the fairy godmothers and be like, and now is the time that you need help. And I think that, you know, when I think about your journey, you did all the things for so long. And sometimes when it's time to ask for help, it almost feels like we're like giving our baby away and praying that somebody's going to care for it the way that we do. And I, I feel like there's so much emotion in hiring. One, because we're handing over things that we are passionate about. But two, the money piece. I mean, the money piece is probably the biggest piece that holds people back. And so I'm curious, but like, how could a solopreneur identify when it is time to hire a team member or when they can afford to hire a team member? Because I think that is a huge piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. I think money is the biggest deal. I mean, I didn't hire my first full-time employee until I was eight years into my business. You know, that is no short amount of time. And as I had mentioned, I previously hired freelancers and interns, but 
those people were being paid per project or being paid for a short amount of time. I wasn't committing to a full salary. So there are some very practical logistical things that you do need to do at this point. You have to look at your finances. You have to look at how much your company has made in past years, in the last year, and look at what your growth is. This is sort of typical kind of growth pattern things that people look at, profit and loss, looking at your books. And some people are great at this. Like some people are really on it. Every year they know how much more they've made. They're very pragmatic and systematic and they love numbers. And some people, similar to the way that I was, kind of want to run away and hide from the numbers. And you just, especially creative people sometimes, you're just like, okay, I just want to do the fun stuff. I don't want to worry about spreadsheets and, and look at those different things. But this is when you have to, because you don't want to get into a situation where you've hired somebody and all of a sudden that month, you're not making enough money to be able to pay them. So looking at what your company has made, and ideally your company is profiting more and more every year, that that chunk or more that you can use can go towards hiring someone new. Now, sometimes you do need to make personal sacrifices. It's the same thing with budgeting, like you're saving up for a car or a house. Sometimes it's going to have to affect you personally, especially when you are the sole owner of your business. Are there things that you can cut down in spending so that you can save up for an employee. And then also, you don't have to hire somebody full-time right away. It's okay to start slow. My first three employees, I hired them all part-time, and then I eventually got them to full-time within one or two years of them coming on board with me. I think this is brilliant advice. And and honestly, Joy, I feel like we have a similar like vision for team and similar size of team. And and I did the same. I hired one by one. All of them started part time. And then as we knew we were the right fit or as their passions expanded or their skills kind of rose to the top, that was when we kind of extended. Now, I can be the first to admit that I don't have a very awesome hiring process. I go a lot off of my gut and a lot off of recommendations. <laughs> so I am curious, like, what was the hiring process like for your first employee? And like, how has that transformed? as you've continued to build your team? So for the very first employee, it was definitely different than it is now. And I've <laughs> learned so much as we all do and we get better and better at it. So the first time around, I remember I told you about this fairy godmother, um, her name is Jane, who happened to come into my life. She really did help me with the first hire. She, Because I was so overwhelmed, she said, listen, I have a team. Let us help you filter through resumes. Let us help you figure out how to hire somebody. And so I had the Ojoy blog. Now this is pre-Instagram, pre-social media. So the blog was really the only social media. So I posted on my blog and I got a bunch of applications. These are all people who read the Ojoy blogs. So they knew what it was about. So it was a great way to find people. And we did through the resumes. I met people sort of in a pretty standard fashion. At the time I had no office. So I was meeting people at coffee shops and then I was narrowing it down from there. And again, going with my gut. And like you said, you go with your gut. I do think that going with your gut is always going to take you great places in the hiring process. It's just that as I started hiring more and more people, I still go with my gut, but I have a much more detailed process about doing it now. So from the very beginning, I was very much about hiring specialists versus generalists. And I yep. think the one thing that people tend to do for their very first hire is they tend to hire a generalist. They're like, I need another me. I need another me who can do 
A and B and C and D, and they just like want another version of themselves. But really the best thing to do is to try to hire people who are specific to a need that you have. And ideally it is an area that is not your favorite, that you're not that great at, so that you can focus on the stuff that you are better at and that is your favorite. So my very first hire was an admin assistant. I needed somebody to help with scheduling and emails and just like organizing my calendar and getting all the things together. So that was my very first one. After that, I just, I hired a crafter slash stylist. And this was somebody who was going to help me make stuff for the content for the Ojoy blog and help style the scenes. Cause I was previously doing all of that myself. And then third, my next hire was a designer to help me design all these products that we were doing on the licensing end. So I got very specific with my hires as I went. And to this day, all six of my team members, each one has a very specific role. And what's helpful with that is that it's very clear to know who's doing what. It's also much easier to hand over work and, and hand over this part of you that's been doing it for so long if it's clear what everybody is doing. I think that's probably some of the best advice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> when you're saying that, I'm like, dang, like hire a specialist, not a generalist. And I totally agree that that is the number one mistake people make. And and I even see it like in our Facebook group, like people are like, I need someone to help with email and social media and invoicing. And, you know, it's like this laundry list of things. And I think that when you can give somebody peer ownership over a task and you know exactly who you need to go to, I would say it's better to hire two people part-time than one person full-time who's expected to do all the things because you're going to really quickly acknowledge that, you know, as you grow a team, you want your team to feel fulfilled and to have purpose. And if they're just partially in on all of the things, they're never going to have that ownership piece or feel like they're able to like cross things off of their list, which I think is so important as a human being. (laughs) And so I think that that is honestly, Joy, some of the best advice that has ever been laid out on this podcast. So thank you. So I want to know, like, what are three things to avoid? So let's say somebody's listening and they're like, okay, I know I need help. I'm drowning. I've created something that is too big for just me, but I'm really freaked out about hiring. What are some things to avoid? Because we can talk all day about the good things, but what if those things don't go as planned? Well, the generalist versus special thing is definitely part of that. But there are some other things that I now do with part of even the hiring process. So when I'm looking for a new candidate, I am very specific in the job listing. I think that when people get into trouble and they don't feel like they're getting good candidates is because you kind of put up this general thing on social media or in a job listing. I need this type of assistant or I need this type of position. And they kind of keep it vague and they say, send your resume, send your work samples, whatever it might be. But what you want to do is you want to set up an applicant for providing you with as much information as possible. So I will do a application It can be in Word, it can be a PDF, whichever one you want, and it spells out exactly what the job entails, all the things that you need them to be able to do for the job, all the qualifications you want. Make it very clear. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try and be too fun. I think that's one thing people try to do is they're always trying to be so fun. I'm a cool company. I have a creative company. You're going to have so much fun, and that's great, but people need to know what the nitty-gritty is of every job. And then when it comes to an application, ask questions ahead of time. 
these are the questions that you might ask in a job interview. You know, some typical ones like, what will you contribute to the team? Or why do you want to work for me? Or things like that. But put it up front because that saves you the time from having to ask that in person. If the person doesn't give a great answer in an application, you can automatically cut them. Also, be detail-oriented in who you're looking for. I don't take resumes or take interviews with anybody who has a typo. If you have one typo in your email or in your application or in your resume, you are out and I don't even consider you. And I know it sounds harsh and sometimes these positions are creative positions and these people are not necessarily being hired to copyright, but to me, it shows attention to detail. It doesn't matter if you are not a copywriter or if you're not that's not your job to be a copywriter. There are so many things people can help you proofread. So to me, it's sort of just like be meticulous and be detailed about who you choose to even bring in to an interview because it's going to save you so much time and it's going to really edit down your choices and the people you're meeting if you can do that all up front before you even meet people. So that was a very long and drawn out answer for one no. thing. <laughs> no, keep it coming, girl. And then, as I mentioned, tell them the hard stuff. This stuff can come into the interview, but everybody wants to sugarcoat things. They want to remind people that their company is fun. And I think that a lot of companies, especially small independent ones and even creative-based ones, we tend to not necessarily have huge amounts of money that we can pay somebody. You know, people aren't usually walking into an office, into a small growing company with a six figure salary. Like that's just not something that people can afford to do off the bat. And so sometimes people try to tell them all the amazing and the amazing fun things to make, to lure people in, but you don't necessarily have to do that if you create a good company culture. But the hard stuff is what you need to tell people so that they know that besides outside all of the glitz and the glamour and what you see on social media and what appears to be all the fun parts of a job that you expect your employees to work hard, that it's very busy and that there's a lot of things going on and that people work hard. And yes, it's fun too, but that you are showing them the real parts of working on your team. And for example, one thing I always tell people is, you know, we have a very small team, um, we work a very normal day. It's great hours, but we work very hard while we're here and you will always be busy. And how do you do toggling back and forth and managing several projects at one time? Because I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you and tell you that things are always just sunshine and rainbows. There's actual real work to get done as well. And then one other thing that I really like to tell people that I don't think a lot of potential employers think about is talking to somebody about how you as an employer fit into their future goals. So I do this not only when I'm bringing people onto my team, but also my team that actually is here and is now works for me. I, I think that a lot of times people are in an interviews and they say, what are you going to do for me? What do you, how are you going to help me grow my business? How are you going to make me increase the profits of my company. And those are all valid questions. Those are all things to think about. And those are logistical things that you need to work through, of course, to be able to justify hiring somebody. But also for team building and for building company culture, you want to make sure your employees know that you care about them and their future goals, both inside your office and outside of your office as well. So for example, with a new somebody I might be interviewing, I'll say, you know, what are your long-term goals? Like, where do you want to be in the next five years? They usually answer that question. And then I'll say something like, how does Ojoy fit into that? Because to me, it shows, okay, 
are they on a progression to be basically doing the job they're interviewing for and to keep going with it and to take it somewhere else? Or is this job just like convenient for them? And it's not necessarily on their path to what they eventually want to do. And it's important for me to hire people who my job is on the path of what they want to do. Even if it's not exactly what their future, future in 10 or 15 years holds, I want to make sure that the experience they're going to gain from me is going to help them, but also knowing how serious they are about working for me and knowing that their contribution to my company is going to help them in the long run. And then for my current team who's here, every year or twice a year, I'll assess with them, like, what are your dreams? What are your goals in life, like outside of working for Ojoy? And that's just a great way to just know what they want to do because they're not always going to talk to you about that on a normal day-to-day basis. And so that I can know how I can potentially be a stepping stone to that dream or goal of theirs. You can get the key takeaways from top nonfiction books in less than 15 minutes with the help of Blinkist. Blinkist is the only app that condenses books in business, health, self-help, and history into quick 15-minute text or audio versions so you can tackle that list of books that you've been meaning to read since last year. Books by authors like Dale Carnegie, Gary Vaynerchuk, Michelle Obama, and Simon Sinek can now be read in the same amount of time it takes to finish your morning coffee. You could read four books a day while you're on the go with Blinkist audio feature. I like to use Blinkist as a refresher course too. I can visit those amazing business books I read at the start of my entrepreneurial journey and appreciate their key messages without having to read the whole thing over again. Blinkist is made for people with full days who want to get the main points of books quickly without having to read it cover to cover. 8 million people are using Blinkist and digging into its massive and growing library right now. Go to Blinkist.com slash Gold Digger to start your free seven-day trial. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Gold Digger to start your seven-day trial. We're talking all about hiring a team today. So we're grateful for the support of LinkedIn on today's show. LinkedIn is how I hired my newest team member, Kylie. Finding the perfect person to join the team at a small business, it can feel so overwhelming. But LinkedIn matches your role to quality candidates with not only the professional background to do the job, but it also includes things like interests, activities, and passions to find the perfect fit. When I posted the podcast manager role on LinkedIn, I had hundreds of applicants in just a few hours. And it could have been really overwhelming, but LinkedIn gave me tools to search applicants' profiles for keywords most important to the role and narrow down my shortlist super fast. I wanted someone with podcast and social media experience, and with LinkedIn, those applicants floated to the top. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash golddigger and get $50 off your first job posting. That's linkedin.com slash golddigger. Terms and conditions apply. I hope everyone's taking notes because this is like this is like boot camp for building your team. Like this is so, so good and so impactful. I think you are just brilliant. And I love all of this. I second. I just say a resounding amen. (laughs) I love this. So let's talk about your team right now. Like how do you keep people on your team? Like what does that retention look like? Because I think a lot of people hire really quickly and then there's turnover and then there's lost time. And then there's that belief like I should just 
do it myself or it's faster for me to do it myself. And I feel like that is one of the biggest pitfalls that entrepreneurs fall into. So how do you keep people on your team and how do you make sure that they're like on board with the direction and the mission of where you are headed? I've never had anybody quit since I've hired people. The only person who has ever left me is because she moved to a new city. So I will accept that. But I have not yet, knock on wood, and obviously this won't be the case forever, but nobody has yet left me. My longest employees have been with me for six years, which is when I first started hiring employees. And so I know that I'm doing something right in keeping them and keeping them motivated and excited and wanting to work here and feeling passionate. And there's a few things. I think communication, number one, is the biggest thing. And I often have the analogy of having employees is like, any relationship you're going to have in your life, friendships, a marriage, something with a significant other communication is the key to all of that. And so there's the communication, which comes early on with just on a day-to-day basis, making sure your team understands what's happening, what's going on with the company, even if the things that are happening are not necessarily part of their day-to-day. And those are simple things like staff meetings, weekly meetings with your entire team. So they know what everybody's working on. So people are on board, they know what's happening and they feel kept in the loop because it can get so easy to just be at our desk. Everyone's doing their thing and you forget that one person doesn't know what's happening next week because they're not part of that particular team. And also, you know, you have to be a role model for them. I think that no day is perfect. And as a boss, you know that some days are crappy. And sometimes someone says something on social media that gets you down, or sometimes something happens that isn't the way you want it to go. But not that you have to be strong all the time. It's okay to show vulnerability and show weakness. But at the same time, you show them how you go higher. You show them how you can still push through it. You show them that those things are okay. And if you need to have team camaraderie talks to get through a tough time, it's fine. Or it's really just how you project yourself. I think also it is leading by example. And that's things having to do with how you treat all of your employees in front of them. And little things like how you take out the trash because you're a small company. And just because you're the boss doesn't mean that you don't do those things too that you expect of them. And In general, it's showing that you are there for a reason, making sure they know what motivates you and also making sure they know what motivates your customers. Because essentially, me and my team are all working to generate joyful content and joyful products to the people who come to our website, come to our social media, who buy one of our products and reminding them of that and what our group goal and mission is. That is so powerful. And I think, too, it would be important for us to highlight like how this would look online, because you and I actually, like I said, we have a very similar setup. I've actually never lost anyone on my team except for my sister, who this was just a stepping stone while she figured out where she wanted to head. And so my team is entirely remote and you guys all meet in an office together, right? So you guys kind of sit and work together. So it's kind of, I mean, let's kind of just chit chat through some of the differences. So did you know, like some people on my team, I've never even met in real life. Isn't that wild? What? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I remember I was listening to one of your podcasts and you did say something about your team being fully remote. And I love that because it just goes to show you, and I think everybody out there, that a team is a team. Whether you choose to have them in one office like I do or whether they're remote, like how you have it, 
it can happen. And it's still about maintaining all of the company culture and how you interact with them and how you communicate with them to keep them not only going and doing the work, because in your case, you're not watching over them and you're not next to them the way that I am, but you still know that they're getting their work done. Yeah. So talk to me, like, do you love going to the office? Are you that kind of person that like really enjoys that structure and stuff? Because I am not. And so it could, you know, we could kind of walk through the difference in the leadership too. Because I think everything you said, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And it just looks different online. But I love hearing because I'm super introverted. So talk to me a little bit about your decision to have people show up to the office and what that looks like, because I think that culture is entirely different. So when I first started hiring and my first couple employees, I actually didn't have an office. I was still working out of my home. So, and they were also just part-time. So some of them were coming to my house a couple days a week. And that for me was the weird part. That is when I did decide to physically get an office because, you know, you're at home. Sometimes your house is messy. (laughs) Like I have cats. And so I would be worrying about like the litter box being dirty or whatever. And it can work. I just always say that if you're going to work from home and you're going to have people come to your home, have a separate space. It's just going to make you feel better. It's going to make everybody feel better. But I like coming to the office. I like having structure. For me, it's partially a separation from the mental separation from home for me. That's not to say I wouldn't love working from home. I do think at some point I might sort of do a mixed thing of working from home a little bit more and then coming into the office versus the structure that I've had. But as a transition from working from home, because I did do that for so long, to having a team, I needed the physical separation, especially because I had my daughter who at the time was super little and then I had a second daughter and I needed to be able to feel like, especially when they were babies and they were home, they weren't at school yet at that time, I needed to be able to be away and not be distracted from that only because I, I know working from home and having kids at home, when you hear your baby cry or yep. when you hear them laugh or whatever, like you just want to be with them. I want to be with them. And even now, if I'm ever working from home and my kids happen to be home and the door is closed, it's so hard because the mom part of you just wants to be with your kids. So it was more like I had to do it for myself to be able to really focus. And our hours are very good. Like I've set up Life work balance is very important to me because I'm a mom and because I want my employees to have that. We work from 8.30 to 4.30 every day, which is a very normal day. And it's kind of on the early side. So the employees I have who are parents can leave early enough, usually to pick up their kids from school. They have enough time with them at the end of the day before they go to bed. And I completely set that those hours And I structured that around my kids' drop-off and pick-up time. So selfishly, I did that so that I could have an earlier day and I could be with my kids at the end of the day. So just know that you can set whatever hours you want, not only for yourself and your team, but I also know that it is my office and it is my company. So if I wanted to work from home one day a week or I wanted to have some sort of modified schedule, I also could do that too because you get to the point where you have a great team, you trust them, and so you don't necessarily feel nervous about not being in the office with them side by side to watch over them. When you can get to that point and feel comfortable, you aren't going to feel like you have to necessarily physically be there all the time. Yeah, I love that. And I think too, you know, when you're talking about company culture, that is something that I am just starting to really think about 
in a really big way, whereas each hire was more to like fill a certain task or fill a position. And now it's like, you know, we have so many different employees out of the five girls that work for me that are communicating with each other. And again, like you are the example of how that communication is going to look and what that relationship will look like. And I just want to encourage people, like really ask yourself, like, does it feel freeing or does it feel like it's going to trap you to show up to an office every day? Is it going to feel inspiring to be sitting alongside people working or are you performing at your best when you're alone and you have that brain space to do that? And it's funny because like you said, with your children, like right now, Drew and Conley are upstairs and I'm like texting him like, is everything okay? Is everything going well? And, you know, I never did that before. And it does make me think like, you know, is an office something good so that I can really just be fully present in my business and then fully present when I'm home? And and what does that look like? And so, you know, it definitely changes with seasons and with growth and and with more people working for you. And so I'm just curious, like, you know, as you've hired, you've given people ownership over things that you maybe did in the past or, or new roles. Like, how do you empower your team members to make decisions and to feel that ownership and to work towards that bigger goal of where you're headed with Ojoy? So again, like communication has been so crucial for this part, because like you said, I have basically split myself up into several different parts and I've given those parts to somebody else to go and run with. I remember slowly, I basically gave away all these different areas. And, you know, for example, design, I am a designer. First and foremost, I'm a designer. And that's what I came into building my company as. And now I have someone else designing almost everything that we create. And I still oversee it. I'm still the creative director. And I have to say yes to things before they can happen. But that was probably the hardest thing for me because that almost was how I started my company. But what I realized was, if I could find somebody who not only can get my vision, get the style of Ojoy, but also who's better than me, that will take me so much further. And that's another thing. Find people who are better than you. Because if you don't find people who can do the things that you can do, but even better, you will always second guess what they do, or you'll feel like, oh, I can just do that. And that is is what you don't want to do when you're hiring somebody. You don't want to feel like, oh, it'll just be quicker if I do that. And you will feel like that in the beginning sometimes. It can be really hard to let go of control. And especially if you're training somebody who's just new or just needs to acclimate to your company and your style, especially here at Ojoy, we have a specific voice and a specific style and certain colors and all that stuff. So anyone new is not going to get that right away. But the time that you spend, the patience that it takes out of you to be able to train somebody and to let them learn, let them make mistakes. It's all going to be so much more worth it once they've gotten it and it's down. And from there, they can go and run with it. And again, it takes time. But now I have my team who everybody has their own department from design to social media to e-commerce that they each can do their thing and they feel ownership of it. And in terms of sort of micromanaging or trying not to micromanage, I do what I call check-ins where I have touch base calls or meetings with everybody. And how often I have that really depends on the person. Some people it's once a day, some people it's a couple times a week, depending on the work they do. But the touch base is sort of like, that's when we're 
literally touching base on the work that they're doing. They've previously been assigned certain tasks or certain projects. And I've been very clear and communicated upfront when those things are due. So if you front load it and you tell them when things are due and when you want to review it or when you want to review a first draft, you don't necessarily feel the need to have to check in with them so often or you don't feel the need to micromanage. And then also if you set up touch points and touch base meetings with them, they know to be working towards that date, that time to be able to show you what they need to show you and get your feedback. Mm -hmm. I have an interesting question for you. And I'm I'm just curious if you've ever experienced this, but there have been moments in my business where all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am a boss and my days are filled with managing people and not necessarily creating like I used to. Did you ever experience that? Because I think a lot of us too, as our businesses grow, and again, like this has been years and years in the making for both of us, but all of a sudden I'm like, okay, today, like the big things I need to do are connect with team members. And it's not necessarily like in the trenches creating. How has that felt for you, especially as a designer? That is probably one of the hardest things, Yeah, to be honest. It can be, it's just like any job, especially with social media, People see like all the fun stuff. They see all the glamorous stuff. They think that I just am doing all the fun things and all the colorful things all day long. And they don't see the administrative stuff or the emails or the meetings or the calls. And so I think that when you get to the point where you do have multiple people on a team and you are managing people, it does get into the nitty gritty of that. And I think that is really hard. But for me, I think of it as they, they meeting my team are allowing me to focus on coming up with new ideas. I'm the one who comes up with what are we going to do next? I'm the one who's pitching to new clients or potential clients and brands that we want to work with. I'm the one thinking about like, oh, I want to do a children's book. So here we go. Like I have to write this children's book and it's going to come out next year. So while there are parts of it that, yeah, all of a sudden now you are managing a lot of people, you have to realize the balance of that and what the managing of people and your team allows you to do and allows you to grow personally, but also allows your whole company to grow. I love that. I know. I think it's just always like a catch 22 when you're like, I'm a people manager now. Like, how can I still feel like a creative and, you know, still feel like I am behind that creation process as the visionary while also letting people do their job? So my last question for you is this. What is the biggest lesson you like to share with a solo freelancer who is unsure if they should grow a team? One thing I always tell people is you don't have to grow a team. The choice is completely up to you. Don't feel the pressure from anyone else. Because I've also had people tell me, why do you only have six employees? Why don't you grow your company to a hundred employee size business? And I don't want to. You know, there are different companies of different sizes that make a different amount of money or have different growth rates. Everybody is different and there's literally no one way to do it right or wrong. And if you are the type of person who truly wants to work by yourself and does not want to work with people, you don't have to, but it's also going to limit what you can actually do. You can say, yes, I want to work by myself at home for the rest of my life. And that's fine. But know that it will limit what you can do because you can only do so much on your own. And I think that's what it comes down to. Am I okay with doing the maximum that I can do on my own? Or am I willing to take a risk and hire someone and see what they can do to help me grow? And that is really the deciding factor because ultimately 
it's all up to you and it's all up to you how you grow and know that you can go slow and start slow and that's totally okay. And also if it doesn't work out or if you hire somebody and you realize, you know what, I'm not a people person, that's okay. You can go back to the way it was before, but also just know that people are such a big part of growing a business and finding the people that can do things that you can't do or who can do it better than you. And it really, for me, it took my company to the next level by adding a team. Oh, same, same, same. Thank you so much. I could talk to you all day, but I'm just watching. I'm like, man, I mean, we could keep going. Maybe we should do a part two because this is just such good content. And I think so many people, this is one of those things that just catches them up. But in the meantime, where can everybody connect with you and check you out and follow along on your journey? You can find us at ojoy.com and you can find our new ojoy academy at ojoy.com slash academy or on social media at ojoy. You are amazing. Thank you so much for making my dream come true of having you on the show. And thank you for just showing up and sharing so much truth today. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you so much for having me. Man alive. Isn't joy amazing? I mean, I feel like we could have talked about this all day. And I think that there is so much that she shared that it's like, gosh, I hope you guys are writing this stuff down. I think hiring a team member is one of the scariest things you can do as an entrepreneur. But a lot of times we build these businesses that means that we're running around the clock, running ourselves ragged to try to do it all. And there comes a time for everyone when it's simply too much that the thing that we've built has become kind of a beast. And so I loved Joy's approach to hiring and finding people that aren't just general entrepreneurs, but that are fitting into specific parts of your business, parts where you might not love, parts that you might not be great at. And you're hiring the right people for the right positions. And guess what? You're going to mess up. It takes time to do this. But I really hope that today shed a light on the possibility that you don't have to look at the expense of hiring, but instead look at the amount of time time and energy that you're getting back that you can then invest into your business in a new way. I know for a fact that I would have never been able to grow if I didn't start to ask for help. And so maybe you are in a place where you are ready to hire. And I sincerely hope that today's show inspired you to start hiring and hiring the right people for the right positions. Before we sign off, I want to share the review of the week from Haley Rose. And it says, seriously, this is one of the things that I look forward to each day. I started listening, but the content is incredible and inspiring. It makes me hopeful that I can make my dreams a reality. I find myself getting so fired up and oozing with passion every time I listen in my car on the way to and from work, which is a decently long commute with all of this Minnesota snow we've been getting. Thank you so much, Haley. If you're still listening and this show has inspired you or encouraged you, would you just take a second to leave a review? Make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you never have to wonder if we have a new episode out. And just let people know that you're tuning into the podcast because as we continue to grow, I continue to get these dream guests on that are sharing this kind of information with you so that you can grow the business of your dreams. Thank you so much to Joy for showing up today. And I mean, let's be honest, we could always do a 2.0 soon. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. 
Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.